Hello, food nerds. This is Nick. And I'm Gabby. And you're listening to Literally Delicious. Well, this week we are back with another literary bevy. How do you feel about that, Gab? I'm always down for a bevy, especially on a Sunday night. Yeah, so tonight we are making mint juleps. I'm not going to tell you right now what story we are going to take this mint julep recipe from. I want you to follow along and I want to give you the full picture of the story of the mint julep up through our story for today, our novel. And Won't I think the episode say the title of the novel? <laughs> that's true, but pretend for us that, him. Yeah, pretend for us that you had no preconceived notions about the novel for today so that I think it's going to surprise you just how much of a big deal the mint julep is in the novel. So much so that I think it changes your perception of one of its characters. Whoa. And this is for plan. sure a novel that if you've not read it, you've at least heard of. No, I think you I don't think you go through high school and college without reading this novel. It's classic American lit. That is fair. So okay, why don't you come a little bit closer here and we'll get started with making the mint and julep from a recipe that we shared already at Literally Delish Pod on Instagram. Can I say, if you haven't already, this is my public plea to please, please follow Literally Delicious Podcast on Instagram. Hit that follow button. It doesn't cost you anything. As you can probably tell, food nerds, Gab has a huge hand in the Instagram <laughs> creation. So, shameless plug. Shameless plug. How are you doing tonight, Gab? I'm doing well. I mean, a little bit of Sunday scaries, but... Aren't we all? This should make those Sunday scaries go away quite nicely. I have a little bit of a headache myself here. You want to take some Advil really quickly? But that's actually a fun fact. Oh. This mint julep was originally used as a medicine back in a time when there were no over-the-counter pain relievers. Does that mean it tastes medicinal? Uh, I don't think it has to mm -hmm. if you make it the right way. Okay. Starting here with some ice that I put into a canvas bag. Did you know that the mint julep was the first popular drink to use ice as one of its main ingredients? Did not. And that's because it came around in a time when people could get ice commercially mm -hmm. and ice would be delivered to wherever you lived. And it would always come with a canvas bag and a mallet for you to crush it up into the crushed ice that you liked. So that's what I'm going to do right now. I have my ice in a canvas bag. I'm going to move away from the microphone here. He's got a little hammer. And just whack away. What's the ideal consistency for this ice? I think you want something near like the kind that you get out of a like a soda machine. Mm -hmm. So like a little bit crushed. Yeah, a little yeah. That ought to do. Alright, so the next step is the mint. So mint has not always been the staple ingredient of a julep. Mm -hmm. In fact, the word julep comes from gulap, which is an Arabic word. No, sorry, which is from Persia. So it's a word that just means rose water. So the original juleps enjoyed by the royal elite were made from rose water and not mint. And so whenever this drink moved to Europe, 
it began, you know, being used with mint. Was that because of the access to mint or just because of different tastes, depending on, like, the culture? I think both and. So I'm just putting the mint in our nice glasses here. It's traditional to use a metal glass, kind of like a Moscow mule mug, uh -huh. or there's actual, like, mint julep glasses. What do they look like? They look like, kind of like chalices. Uh -huh. They're made of pewter or silver, and they get nice and frosty on the outside. Pretty fancy. They're served, uh, or they used to be served, in Churchill Downs, where the Kentucky Derby was hosted. Kentucky Derby was just yesterday, and uh, people would steal the metal glasses that their mint juleps came in. They'd become, you know, collectors antiques, items. collectors. I would yeah. probably make a lot of money if you had one. So I've just gently pressed my mint leaves into our glasses. I'm adding a half an ounce of simple syrup. Do you want to know how I made it? Yeah, I was just going to ask Telefooners how you make simple syrup. All right, I will. It is just, it's so simple. <laughs> As the name implies. As the name implies. It is just a cup of sugar and a cup of water. You always want to use equal parts sugar and water. And you press it, or excuse me, you bring it to a boil. And then you let it simmer for five minutes. You let it cool before you put it in your drinks. I like to move mine into a glass container, like one of these glass bottles I have here. And then you can use it again and again for your cocktails. And it's important when you're measuring the liquid to use a liquid measure, and when you're measuring the sugar to use a measuring cup. <laughs> Remember when we got that, that big debate or fight about how the liquid and the solid cup things are different? I don't know what you're speaking of. Whatever. You do. We've never argued about food things ever. <laughs> <laughs> and then whenever you you're measuring your... Sure. Whenever you're measuring your alcohol... You should use a jigger or not. You can eyeball, use liquid measure, use dry measure, <laughs> a whole cup. Use a tablespoon. Yeah. So I added two ounces of bourbon, about a half an ounce of simple syrup, a little bit more for you guys, mm -hmm. and the mint at the bottom. And so the next step is quite simply, you put your ice that you just crushed in the glass, fill mm -hmm. it all the way up to the top, and then stir it up. And the ice is going to melt uh -huh. and it's going to dilute the julep quite nicely so that it's a nice sipping. So once you make the julep, are you supposed to wait Whoa. a certain amount of time? Ice is going everywhere. Here, take a sip away from the computer, please. <laughs> before drinking it, if you're supposed to let it melt. Yeah, so you want to make you actually want to make a mint julep fresh. Don't make mint juleps in batches because each person's specific tastes are different. Like Gab, she wanted a little bit more sugar, a little less bourbon in hers. And for me, it's going to be probably just the opposite of that. Yeah. So you want to make mint, each mint julep fresh to order. I've stirred yours. I think this was yours, Gab. I stirred think yours that up. Was yours, but okay. <laughs> mm. And so. It smells really strong. Yeah, if you let it sit for a little bit, which is why it's great on a hot Kentucky day, if you let it sit, then it's going to get diluted and it's going to increase in its complexity of flavor because the mint is just going to keep steeping. Could you make like a mint syrup for this or is that just Oh, not absolutely. Kosher? 
Absolutely. In fact, so to get a little bit deeper into the julep history, from Europe, it really became sort of the drink of the Caribbean islands, mm -hmm. where uh, sugarcane was obviously in abundance, mm -hmm. and rum was added into the concoction. Right, I was going to say that this seems pretty similar to mojito. Mm -hmm. Except for the fact that mojito uses rum and limes. Yes, correct. And then this one has uh, bourbon in it. So, uh, why the switch? Why did the mint julep go from that which used rum or brandy to bourbon in the United States? And it happens, uh, historians say, because of the taxation on sugar by the British. So, that is when whiskey became the staple alcohol in the United States. And from Virginia, the uh, mint julep kind of transported itself into Kentucky. And did you know, first, let's cheers. Can you make sure that, I think I have a strong one right now. It's, okay. So you take two sips. I'll just, I'll, I'll drink both of them, there. <laughs> mm, that's quite nice, try this one. Is this one sweeter, I told you. Yep, good eye. I do try to do the, one of those like at, when you're at the ballpark and you look up at the jumbotron and they put the, the thing underneath the baseball hat and then they like shuffle yeah. it around. You gotta guess if it's one, two, yeah. or three. I just did that with your mint julep. Oh, what do you think? It's good. It's nice. Yeah. Very refreshing. Should we Best put some sparkling water on top? No, so no sparkling water unless you wanted to dilute um. it. So would you like a little sparkling water? No, it's top? okay. Okay. Yeah, traditionally not with sparkling water, and uh, traditionally enjoyed in the morning. In the morning? Yeah, so what's so interesting about... You can't about, drink all day if you don't get started in the morning. <laughs> That's absolutely right. So the so what's the Kentucky connection? Mm -hmm. Well, mint juleps became really popular in Kentucky where horses are raised, and with raising horses, there's a lot of hard work, people working in the stables, the trainers... They look for a little pick-me-up in the morning, mm -hmm. especially when you didn't have those painkillers that we have now, and you mm -hmm. had your aches and pains. Mm -hmm. This would uh, take the aches and pains right away. Basically medicine. It is. It is. And then over time, it became a cocktail that we recognize and order in bars and a cocktail that you find in the literature. So... Are you ready to for the big reveal, which you already know? Drum roll, please. Which you already know because you've seen the title of this episode. Well, the mint julep of discussion today is the mint julep from The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Do you remember reading The Great Gatsby, Gab? Yeah, I read it sophomore year of high school, and then I think I read it again in a class in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I just read it in high school. I don't remember it very well. Uh, so when I was reading it back, I was looking for the mint and julep scene, but also just kind of putting myself back in the roaring 20s mindset, which I guess we are in a new roaring 20s. And not so, maybe a screaming, crying <laughs> 20s. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of, it, it's all different. It's, it's a all different, different type of roaring. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I heard about the mint julep in Grey Gatsby, though I didn't remember 
the mint julep at all. And in fact, the yeah, give me some context about where it occurs. Yeah, the mint julep in the novel takes place or is made in perhaps its most intense scene. So just to give you a rundown of what happens in The Great Gatsby, not that this is 100% necessary, but it's a good refresher course for everybody. Uh, the narrator is Nick Carraway, uh-huh. who uh, moves from the Midwest to Long Island, where his next door neighbor is uh, Jay Gatsby. And Gatsby's moved to Long Island so that he could try to win back Daisy Buchanan, who is, I think, a cousin of Nick, the narrator. And so through Nick, Daisy, and Gatsby get back together. But all the while, Daisy's been married to this guy who's not a very nice dude. No, he's an asshole. Yeah, and also what was really surprising to me is how much of a white supremacist Mm -hmm. Tom Buchanan is in the story. I, I, I guess in high school, especially... Uh, where I was going to school in rural Pennsylvania, we didn't talk about mm-hmm. the white supremacist parts of it, but right. it's very out there mm-hmm. and uh, present in that character. Um, but Tom Buchanan, he himself is having an affair, mm-hmm. which comes into play a little bit later on in uh, Gatsby's Demise. Sorry, spoiler. But um, can't, it, there's no spoilers. This book has been around for ages. We're not probably, making spoiler alerts here. You've probably seen the Leonardo DiCaprio movie at the very least. So yeah. I can't verify if that is anything like the novel or not because I don't remember the DiCaprio film. But um, the novel, is, it, it read very, it was very fun to read it again. But to get to the men julep scene, the characters, Tom, Gatsby, Daisy, and Nick, and then some other characters. Uh, They are together for lunch, and this is after Tom suspects Gatsby and Daisy of getting back together. Um, And they, it's a really hot day, they want to just get out. They've started this argument, and Tom eventually challenges Gatsby, like, you call yourself an Oxford man, and trying to expose Gatsby as a fraud, which a lot of the backstory about Gatsby is a little bit kind of, it's murky. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of truth. There's a lot of half truths. There's a lot of flat out lies that he's trying to tell to construct himself in the image of somebody who Daisy would fall in love with. Right. Because in fact, five years earlier, before Gatsby goes off to war, uh, the World War One in Europe, they were in love. Mm-hmm. But in part because it took Gatsby so long to get back to the United States, and in part because of uh, Daisy's social standing, I mean a high social standing, it was expected that she got married in the time that Gatsby was away in Europe, and so she marries Tom, because Tom was from a upper-class family and could provide. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I feel like that's enough context for the yeah. medieval of scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Tom is confronting... Gatsby about his sort of uh, conflicting stories about his past and Tom is very much aware that he and uh, that is Gatsby and Daisy have gotten back together so uh, they are arguing and the characters they just want something cold to drink because it's so warm and so they order mint and ice 
up to their suite at the Plaza Hotel uh, to enjoy some cocktails. So I'll read for you from The Great Gatsby where this scene starts. And so it's really tense just to set the scene. Mm -hmm. They are in the midst of arguing. And a waiter knocked and came in with crushed mint and ice, but the silence was unbroken by his thank you and the soft closing of the door. This tremendous detail was to be cleared up at last. And the detail is referring to uh, the extent of Daisy and Gatsby's relationship with one another. But Gav, can I have you read from uh, this next part here? This is Daisy uh, talking to Tom, who's having a row with Gatsby. This paragraph? Yep. Open the whiskey, Tom, she ordered, and I'll make you a mint julep. Then you won't seem so stupid to yourself. Look at the mint. So... Look at the mint. What do you make of that last interjection that Daisy makes? You're putting me on the spot. No, what does it make you think about her character? That this is so tense. And she says, look at the mint. That he just has blinders on? Daisy has blinders on? No, 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 that Tom. Isn't she in the room with Tom? Right, yeah. Help me out here. I just think that if you are, if your husband is in an argument with your, uh, your boo, lover. your lover, <laughs> you wouldn't be like, oh, oh, no, look at the mint. Like, the mint's not right. This is a very, I don't know, it just seems like a moment that didn't have to be said in uh-huh. the moment. But, as we, I think I mentioned before, we know that Daisy is from Louisville. Mm-hmm. Kentucky. She's from old money, correct? Right. Right. And she knows a thing or two about mint juleps. And I think that it's so smart that Fitzgerald uh, made her say, oh, let me take the reins here. Let me make the mint julep. And she would know better than anyone that you don't use crushed mint in a mint julep. That's like really finely chopped mint or mm-hmm. like the dried mint Yeah. that you might put into some other kind of food, but definitely not for mint juleps. You want fresh mint. According to Jason Faust, the ambassador for Angel's Envy, which is a kind of bourbon Mm -hmm. uh, made in Kentucky, you want to add just sugar syrup to a julep cup, three to four mint leaves, and just press the mint leaves to release the oils. Crushing or pulverizing the mint will release too much oil and create a bitter taste. Hmm. So instead of this sort of potential reading of Daisy, of her, like, I don't know how to say, like, she can't keep a thought straight in her mind. She's, like, interrupting herself to bring up the mint. Yeah. What is really happening here is that she's trying to de-escalate the situation. She really wants to make the mint julep, but she just is like, this is a joke. Like, this is not the mint that you use to make a mint julep. Yeah. So, I think this is... Uh, opportunity to read food in literature is more of a redeeming uh, sort of characterization of a character. Because I think that, from what I remember, Daisy doesn't bode so well. No, she comes across as like a bit ditzy. Yeah, that, exactly. That's the word that I was looking for but couldn't come up with. It sounds ditzy when you interrupt what you're saying to make a remark about the mint, but I think that it shows her true Louisville heritage. Her southern roots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to take a sip here of the uh, drink some called the official drink of the South. 
and it changes as you let it sit in its in its ice. It gets a little bit like mintier, a little sweeter. Almost has almost has like a tea like quality because the mint leaves get the chance to steep. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's really refreshing. Oh, you should garnish it by the way with a sprig of mint. Of course. So you get that you get the nice. So mint you smell. know that there's mint. In so you know that there's <laughs> mint in there in the mint jewel. <laughs> um, so what else is there to? say here about the mint julep and about um, F. Scott Fitzgerald's connection to the mint julep. Well, you want to hear a mint julep fun fact? Of course. Michelangelo, uh-huh. not the Ninja Turtle, the famous, uh, I think he was Renaissance. Yeah, yeah famous Renaissance. Renaissance sculptor, painter. He had a daily julep routine. Ooh. So he would start his morning with a little julep. Fun fact. So his sculptures were sponsored by mint juleps. And probably heavily influenced by the... Did that change the way we view his artwork? Um, I think so. <laughs> we should get some t-shirts made. Let's go to Rome. We should nice. go to Rome. Report literally delicious on scene. Yeah. On site. The Italian Airways or whatever mm-hmm. sponsor us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But I think we should get a shirt made that says... Julep routine. <laughs> Hello, Fooners. This is my julep routine. I'm down. Okay. Okay. Uh, watch the space, Fooners, for some merchandise. By the way, I'm standing here. I got my hands <laughs> in the pocket of my new Headley and Bennett apron that Gab got me for a teacher appreciation uh, week gift, and I just love it. I feel so cozy. Yeah, you can never comment about me spending too much money on shoes again. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, highly recommend the Headley and Bennett uh, apron. Not a and sponsor. Headley and Bennett, if you're listening, we're really open to sponsorships. Email <laughs> us at literallydelishpod at gmail.com yeah. and we can work something out. Not a sponsor. <laughs> yeah. <yet. laughs> so what else can we uh, brand drop here? We got uh, Woodford Reserve Bourbon, which is a highly reputed bourbon for making mint juleps they like sponsor the kentucky derbies what mint about juleps. the elijah craig one that we also have that'll be fine too like really anything from kentucky is maker's one that mark you can use. maker's mark absolutely the did you know woodford reserve sponsors uh it's like a charitable program they make a one thousand dollar mint julep during the what? Kentucky Derby. I think you could purchase it at Churchill Downs. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know, i have to check with one of our friends who yeah. went to the Kentucky Derby this weekend, if he's awake. He's still <laughs> If he's well, he might need another one of these to yeah. hair of the dog. But yeah, $1,000 men julep. It just has like some, you know, fancier bourbon in it and uh-huh. some fancy ingredients. But, yeah. Uh, so if you've got an extra $1,000 to spend on a mint julep for charity, at least, then this is your opportunity. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, but the Fitzgerald connection to Kentucky, like why yes. bother to put the mint julep in the scene where uh, they are having this big fight, Tom and Gatsby? Well, did you know, I don't know why I asked if you knew, because why would you know this? Fitzgerald, he served in World War One, right. and he and many other uh, young American soldiers were trained at Camp Taylor, which no longer exists, but was in Louisville, Kentucky. So, and it's referenced uh, whenever Gatsby tells Nick about how he and Daisy met 
he was stationed in training at Camp Taylor, and he goes over to her really beautiful house uh, with some fellow uh, soldiers in training, and he's just so blown away by this level of opulence with the, mm-hmm. the old what old money can bring you. Right. And I think that he sort of falls in love with the idea of Daisy as well as, you know, her herself. And he lies about how much money he has, like, from his family. He says first to her that he's sort of naturally wealthy, that Mm -hmm. he comes from a really wealthy family and that he can take care of her. And that's not true at all. In fact, he, as you find out, doesn't make any money until much later on in his life through, uh, like, liquor sales, pharmacies. I'd like to do more research on this. It wasn't bootlegging, but he had the character Gatsby had pharmacies Mm -hmm. where uh, grain alcohol was sold as, like, medication. And this is during Prohibition, so all of this was very much illegal. Under the table. Yeah, absolutely. So, a little bit of uh, Kentucky connection between Fitzgerald and, uh, well, that's his connection to Kentucky and perhaps to his mint and julep. Uh, Daisy and Tom get married at the, it's called the Molbach Hotel uh-huh. in Louisville. But this actually reads a lot like the, let me get this right, the Sealback Hotel, which uh, Fitzgerald frequented a lot in his days in Louisville as a soldier in training. And according to uh, some sources, uh, one of the uh, bellhops, one of the uh, door people at Mm -hmm. this hotel claimed that, and there's no way that we can verify this, but Fitzgerald supposedly got so drunk on a number of occasions at this (laughs) hotel, probably on mint juleps, Uh because they're deceptively strong, right? uh, that he was kicked out of that hotel quite frequently. That's iconic. That's that just going for it. That's yeah. a bold move. Let's see how that works out for him. Apparently it worked out pretty <laughs> fine because he's well. one of the uh, most notable. Canonical <laughs> authors. Absolutely. Um, so. There are classes like devoted to his work. Like he's, he did all right. I know you could be a PhD in critical Fitzgerald, Fitzgerald studies. studies. Easily. Many say that Daisy is uh, sort of based off of Zelda, his wife, mm-hmm. like, and her kind of ups and downs, you know, relationship and her uh, struggles with mental health, but sort of a kind of alternative story about the origins of Daisy's character was written in uh, this article for the Paris Review by Jason Diamond, which talks a lot about how this neighborhood that Gatsby describes uh, Daisy growing up in resembles... Little Egg, right? Is that what it's called? Okay, so they're in East Egg at the start of the novel, but Daisy's from Louisville. Mm-hmm. And the way that it's described sounds a lot like Lake Forest, Illinois. And this doesn't really mean anything to anybody except for people who have an interest in F. Scott Fitzgerald's history. He dated a very uh, wealthy uh, young woman from um, <clears throat> Lake Forest. Her name was Ginevra, Ginevra King. What a name. Ginevra. 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 
Just say it. It rolls off the tongue. Ginevra. Ginevra. <laughs> so Ginevra King met Fitzgerald in 1915. They began a romance that was later broken off in 1917 when Fitzgerald had to go and train and eventually go off to Europe to serve in World War One. And in that time, Ginevra married another young man mm-hmm. who was of a similar social status. Right. And uh, for that, the parallels to Daisy and Tom seem, I don't know, it seems a little bit more than a coincidence. Yeah. But I think it's also true for writers that you can base your characters on multiple different people. Right. Even multiple different versions of yourself. Yeah. And how Gatsby at once seems to be kind of based off of Fitzgerald being in the army kind of and as a writer creating multiple different narratives about your life um but in other times you just you don't see it as much sometimes you see Nick Carraway the narrator as being more of like a Fitzgerald uh figure so it's a it's always an interesting question for me, Gav. I don't know. We both have masters in English, which I don't think I've ever shared on this podcast before. So we're so nerdy that we decided to <laughs> master in reading. Yeah, master the art of reading. So does it always interest you or does it ever interest you, the history of the author in the work? Um, I mean, yes and no. I think... Like, you have to look at a text distinct from the author, not distinct from the time that it was written or the influences of the author. But I don't, I don't always think it's fair to, like, put the author as a character or as motivations. But I definitely think, like, there are, like, when you talk about, like, Toni Morrison's work, like, you always think about, like, her positionality and how that impacts, like, her writing. So I guess you would do the same for other authors, like, like Fitzgerald. But... I don't think I care too much about the author's <laughs> background looking at characters. <laughs> I think I'm more concerned about what it says. Now, another question. How much do you care about what the author ate and drank <laughs> <laughs> while they read? Or read I mean, Hemingway was always pretty blasted when he drank. Absolutely. Absolutely. Write drunk, edit sober. Yep. Uh, you might remember we covered The Sun Also Rises and the Jack Rose Cocktail in episode five, I want to say. So you want to go back now and uh, do a sort of a, a bar crawl through mm-hmm. great works of the <laughs> 1920s. You can kind of go back and listen to episode five now. Mm. So, Gav, any last thoughts on this drink, the mint and julep, and this great book, The Great Gatsby? Julep is pretty good. I think I have a slight preference to mojitos, but that's just because I'm weak and like lighter alcohol. Mm. But Gatsby's obviously an important novel, regardless of what we think about the canon. So if you haven't read it already, here's your friendly plug to check out The Great Gatsby from your local library. Yeah, and support an independent bookshop too if you would like to buy. Yeah. Your editions. I don't think we ever plug the independent bookshops. Yeah. Um, but anywhere you can get it. You can get Great Gatsby. I'm sure there are PDFs that are downloadable for free online. Yeah, yeah. You We're don't not... need to give Gatsby's estate more money. <laughs> <laughs> or Fitzgerald's. 
Or Fitzgerald's estate. Yeah. I know what you meant. Yeah, but we're not we're not elitist here. No. You get your books wherever you want to get your books, damn it. <laughs> and with that, I'll make this uh, an explicit tag. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Okay, food nerds. Thank you, Stump. <laughs> okay, food nerds. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Um, Nick will be back in a few moments for last bite, correct? Correct. I was and just choking on a piece of mint, so don't worry. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine, food nerds. And what's our tagline? Uh, don't just read it, eat it. Stay hungry. And do that too. <laughs> Catch you all for last bite. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We'll be back next week for more food fun. But until then, here is today's last bite. So food nerds, you may have tasted or at least heard of some whiskeys made in the United States, which are bottled in bond. And as I was researching today's episode, I looked at a lot of mint julep recipes that actually called for bourbon that is so-called bottled in bond. So what does that mean? And why might you consider purchasing a bottled uh, in bond whiskey for your next mint julep? Well, bottled in bond refers to the Bottled in Bond Act of 1897, which sought to regulate the components and the aging of whiskey. Apparently in those days, what was considered whiskey was a quite a nebulous term and it could lead to uh, some disastrous consequences when you sip on something that purports to be whiskey and is in fact some moonshine that is laced with things like gasoline for example which uh, some of was one of the poisonous liquids that ended up making its way as a filler into some alcohol of that day so the bottled in bond act of 1897 ensured that whiskey made in the United States was distilled in the same distilling season, occurred at a single distillery, aged for a minimum of four years, bottled at 100 proof or 50% alcohol by volume, and the label must identify the distillery who made it, and it must identify the bottling location if different than the distiller or distillery. So a lot of these things are still held over today. For example, we wouldn't buy any liquor from a liquor store that wasn't clearly identified in its origin. But what is a key difference is the bottled at 100 proof, which makes it a lot stronger than a lot of whiskeys on the market today, which are around 80 proof or 40% alcohol by volume. So what is the effect of having a whiskey that is at a higher proof. Well, for whiskey fans out there, whenever you drink your mint julep, as the crushed ice melts and dilutes the drink, you ultimately will have a stronger drink at the end of the day than if you had used just regular bourbon. And this might be more similar to the mint julep from pre-prohibition than the bourbons that you get at 80 proof on the market today. In fact, this is, I think, quite telling for the Great Gatsby that they decided to make such a classy and pre-prohibition drink such as the mint julep whenever they were together. 
some cocktails that became popular during Prohibition were things like the sidecar or the bee's knees, which incorporated a lot of sweeteners and fruit juices so as to mask what was probably a lesser quality product because it had been bootlegged illegally and not distilled according to the Bottled In Bond Act. So this is just a little food for thought and how the recipes that we have today are sometimes an effect of the food history, sometimes government lawmaking, and ultimately uh, some bootlegging history as it is in the United States. So whenever you see bottled in bond, uh, know that that means that it's a little bit stronger alcohol, but that might be just what the doctor ordered for your mint julep. So I hope that you stay thirsty food nerds and that you drink responsibly. Enjoy your week and I will see you all next time.